Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Susie Jones along with Bruce Helmer, the founder and financial advisor of the Wealth Enhancement Group. We are doing the show solo today. Peg Webb is off today and Bruce Helmer is with us with a bit of a cold. We want to tell people right out of the gate, please bear with us. He means well, but he's a little hacky coffee today, so you have to just be here with him. How are you feeling? You know, Susie, thanks for saying that, because I think the worst thing to do is try to pretend there's nothing wrong, and people wonder why these dead air or they hear me hacking in the background. Um, So thanks for bringing that out. I I don't feel bad at all. I don't have uh, body ache or headache or fever. I don't have COVID. I keep taking COVID tests, and they're negative, but... I finally went to the doc, uh, went to the doctor yesterday at my wife's urging because she said I was wheezing in my sleep. Oh no! So I, they diagnosed me with bronchitis. Oh. So I feel fine, but I I will suddenly have uncontrollable little coughing spasms, and they've got me on an inhaler and on prednisone and on wow. some uh, would be strong cough suppressant. We'll see if it works or not. I took a couple before we started, and we'll see how it goes, but <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Hey, Susie, today, um, again, assuming my voice lasts and we can get through this, we, we, we've called our topic Real Wealth, mm-hmm. and this is not a, a shameless plug for a book, but I did, uh, it, it, the, the show today kind of is in conjunction with a book that I put out in 2013, and I say I put it out, but the reality is, Everything in the book, Real Wealth, is really a reflection of how we do our financial planning and financial advising at Wealth Enhancement Group. And it's also really the the basis of what your money, the radio show, is all about in in terms of giving people useful information that they can actually use in their lives to try to achieve financial success, however they define that. And that's kind of our starting point. how do you define that? So what we do and what I would do today with listeners is challenge listeners to ask them, what's important to you? What are your core values? What, do you, what, what legacy do you want to leave behind? What do you want to do while, while you're on this planet? And, and as you ask yourself those questions, a lot of the answers might be driven, at least in part, by finances. So specific to finance, What age do you want to retire? What kind of a lifestyle do you want when you retire? What kind of income are you going to need for that lifestyle? Do you want to be charitable? Do you want to help family members? Do you want a second home, a vacation home? So we always start conversations with people about core values, what's truly important to you. And everybody's different. There's no right or wrong answers here, Susie and listeners, Mm -hmm. but that really helps me give advice. Susie, I've always been dumbfounded by financial media articles or programs that, that you know, tell the, the massive listeners that are listening to them at any given moment, you should go invest in this right now. You should buy ABC stock or XYZ fund. This is, you know, you should go buy this now. And they don't know who's listening to them and they don't know anything about them. They don't know their core values, what they're trying to accomplish, what their goals are. I've told this story before, but it's a true story, and it bears repeating. Uh, Years ago, before there was caller ID and we could screen calls and when I still had a landline, um, I got a phone call one time, a solicitation from somebody in my business 
trying to sell me something over the phone. It was a, an initial public offering, an IPO. Mm-hmm. And this person clearly had their sales pitch down and their script. And I sat and listened for a while, and a couple thoughts occurred to me. Number one, I thought, what a tough job. You call up a complete stranger that you don't know. They don't know you. You've never looked each other in the eye. You've never shaken hands. Complete stranger, and you try to sell them something over the phone. And I thought, boy, I would never want to have to do that. But, you know, they must make some sales uh, uh, ultimately, but they must get a lot of no's also. And I didn't express that thought. But my second thought was, how can one investment be appropriate for everybody you call? You don't know anything about who you're talking to. So I actually interrupted the sales pitch, and I said that. How do you know this investment is a good investment for me? And they went right back on script. Well, it's, it's, it's a good investment for anybody. It's a ground floor opportunity. The price of this investment can go nowhere but up, and here's why. And he went right back into the pitch, and I interrupted again. They said, no, I'm sorry, but that just doesn't make sense to me. That would be like if I called you up and I said, hey, I've got 20-pound bags of dog food on sale for a nickel a bag. You'll never see dog food this cheap again in your life. How many bags do you want me to put you down for? But if you don't own a dog, you don't want any of my dog food, right? It's, <laughs> it's not something that's appropriate for you. Mm-hmm. So with Real Wealth and our whole philosophy at Wealth Enhancement Group, it starts with what's important to you, what are your goals and objectives, What's your purpose for talking to us in the first place? If they're sitting in my office, why are you here? What's a win for you? How can we help you achieve success as you measure success? And so that's where we start. And then ultimately, I tell people um, it's, it's not easy to do this alone, but in some ways, it's fairly simple because at the end of the day, there's really only five things you can do with money once you have it. It may seem like that's an infinite number or it's a lot more than five, but as we go through this, I think, listeners, it will make sense that there really are only five things you can do once you have money. So number one is spend it. And a lot of people uh, in America, unfortunately, are too good at this (laughs) and spend too much. Mm -hmm. And we've all seen statistics about people don't have an emergency fund or a rainy day fund. If something breaks down and they need money, for repairs, they don't have the money, and they have balances on credit cards. So the, the first simple rule of successful financial planning is try really hard not to spend more than you earn. And I say that almost flippantly, and I realize, I recognize, we, we just, we've been through 22 months of unprecedented uh, effects from COVID. Some people you know, had their pay cut. Some people lost their job. Some people lost their lives. I, I, so I don't mean to be flippant. Some people had to maybe deficit spend because their just basic essentials that they need to live on was more than they were earning if they were out of work or they got a pay cut. So I say try really, really hard not to spend more than you earn. And then you get into, you know, what I would call uh, necessities that you need versus luxuries that you want. And again, human nature People like to spend money on luxuries. Those things are generally the fun things. Mm-hmm. Necessities, you know, my rent or my mortgage payment or I've got to buy food, those things aren't really fun. Uh, but fun things are, you know, new shoes or a new golf club or going out with my friends. And so you have to curb your spending. Most people should be on a budget. 
uh, and that's that's tricky. That's hard to do. But there's actually tools out there that help. Uh, I, again, I'm not particularly technologically proficient, but I know there's a, a software out there. Mint is one I've heard of. Quicken uh, is a good one. So there's things, there's computer programs that can help you track your spending, and you can determine what's essential spending versus what is luxury or frivolous spending, and try to get your spending under control. And I, and I would suggest that the, the reason most people should budget is to try to find that money that they can save and invest or put away for their future consistent uh, with, with their goals, which is based on their core values. Again, I'm going to keep going back to the starting point. What's important to you? What are your core values? What are your goals and objectives based on those core values? The spending one, I have another story here. I, I had a client one time, Susie, that it was very obvious from all of our meetings and all of our conversations that a high priority for them was to fully pay for They had three kids, and they wanted to pay for all their education. Uh, they didn't want their kids to have to borrow money or have student loan debt. Their goal was to fully fund their three kids' college education. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it at every meeting. That was clearly their, their, their big thing. That was their, their hot button. Well, I get a call from the guy one day the, of the couple, and he's like, Bruce, I was going to go get a, a new uh, luxury car, and I'm wondering if I can afford this car or not. And I think the car payment was going to be something like 800 bucks a month, and his old car payment had been like 400 bucks a month, so he was doubling his car payment. And uh, I said, Bill, you can afford this car, but I want to ask yourself a question. Do you really want this car? He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, every time we get together, it's very obvious to me that your top priority is setting aside money to make sure you can fully fund your kids' education. You can afford this car, but how are you going to feel spending an extra $400 a month on this car when that money could be going away for your kids' education? Almost without hesitation, he said, you're right. I don't need this car. And, and so he didn't go get it then. Now, probably less than a year later, as his career continued to flourish and his income continued to go up, he called me back again. He said, you know, that car I was going to get last year, I'm going to get it this year because I can afford the car I want for the lifestyle I want and still properly fund my kids' education accounts. And that's another important lesson. Uh, I, I, I have people tell me from time to time, I don't want to see a financial advisor because I don't want somebody to tell me I can't go have fun, I can't take nice vacations, I can't drive a nice car. And that's not what we do. I, I believe in living for today. After COVID, none of us has promised tomorrow. We all have stuff go on in our lives that we couldn't have expected, sicknesses and job losses and deaths and so forth. So I believe in, in living for today and having fun for today, but I don't think it's an either-or decision. You can live for today and still plan for tomorrow if you plan appropriately. So um, the first thing you can do with money is spend it. Be careful there. Try not to spend more than what you earn. Uh, The second thing I have on my list, Susie, of things you can do with money is save it. And again, we talked about most Americans don't have enough in savings. One of the excuses I hear is, well, the bank's hardly paying me anything. And that might be true, but that is not the purpose of of savings. We we also at Wealth Enhancement Group would refer to savings as your short-term money. 
This is cash that's available when you need it. Rate of return is not as important as as the return of your money if you need it. There's no risk of principal here. It might not be earning much, but it also doesn't go backward. It's there for emergencies or rainy days or or opportunities. But everybody should have a certain amount of just liquid, safe money, not with somebody like me in an investment portfolio, in a bank or a credit union, somewhere getting the best interest rate you can with, with no risk on that money. And, and again, Americans, this is a blanket statement, but it's generally true, are not very good at this. They're not very good at saving money. So I always talk about one of the tricks, whether it's saving or investing, and I'll get to investing in a second and differentiate how I think that's different than saving, but pay yourself first. Uh, Peg always talks about hiding money from yourself. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that 401k plans tend to work so well for a lot of people is that it's just withheld from your paycheck. So you don't miss the money. The contribution goes into the 401k plan. You never receive it. I've always contended that if you got that money on your paycheck and then it was your responsibility to write a check out to the investment every month or every pay period, many people would find excuses not to do it. Mm-hmm. They pay themselves first. The same should be true if you're on a budget and you're trying to save your for your emergency fund, devote a certain amount every month or every paycheck that's going to go into the bank and go into that emergency fund and don't have that be part of your social life. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, right. and you can do that yeah. a lot, um, a lot of times through your job, right? I mean, for example, you have a 401k. Well, just set that up. Don't. I mean, you tell me, but set that up, and I don't even see it, and I don't even think about it, right? That's um, exactly right. Yeah, and and we we try to do that even with these savings accounts. So just you, if you get you know you know the bank routing number and the and the account number, you can direct somebody to just auto auto deposit that into your bank on the same day every month. Because again, if we if we take the physical act of having to do it ourselves out of it, we increase the likelihood that it's going to happen. So yeah, any any way that you can automate things or make them happen automatically is going to enhance your, uh, your chance for success. Bruce Helmer is, oh, can, I was going to yeah. just oh, tell sorry, folks, I just wanted to remind folks as they're listening to you and they think of questions that they might want to ask you, we want to remind folks that they can go ahead and call right now or text 651 651- Four six one nine two two six. If you want to ask uh, Bruce Helmer a question during this half hour, or even on the other side, just to let folks know, they can also email questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com or twenty four hours a day. Bruce, they can call one eight 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 six advice. That's twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and they can also ask a financial question of Bruce or any member of the team at Wealth Enhancement. So we're talking about real wealth, not just financial. It's about having an enriched life based on core values. And we're talking about spending money, saving money, and you were going through with a number of different ways to save money. And I believe you're moving on to, is it taxes? Pay taxes with it? Yeah, that's a, thank you. That's a great, (laughs) uh, that's a great synopsis of what we've done so far. Thank you. And it's, did give me a chance to take a sip of water. And, yeah, questions would be great today because anytime I'm listening to a question, I can rest my voice, take a sip of water, and try to 
Well, get you through s- this thing, but uh, knock on wood, so far, you, so good. Yes, you sound very good. So <laughs> you want to continue with uh, other yeah. ways to save money. Well, the, the, so we're talking about the different things that you can do with money once you have it. And the first one was spend it. The second one was save it. The third one, the one that nobody likes, is pay taxes with it. Now, um, taxes for most people are inevitable. You can't not pay any taxes. But part of financial planning and part of your financial success um, is minimizing legally, legitimately, the taxes that you have to pay. And we talk all the time about there's three ways investments can be taxed from a, uh, or there's three ways investments can be taxed, either fully and immediately taxable, tax deferred or delayed, like your uh, 401k plan at work or a traditional IRA. Or maybe there's a tax advantage where you can avoid the taxes completely. And a good example of that might be Roth IRA. So how do you structure all three of these types of investments and the way they're treated from a tax standpoint into your life? And how do you minimize taxes over a lifetime? And I think this is the key point, Susie, because so often, and I'm not knocking uh, accountants or CPAs or tax preparers, Lord knows we need them at Wealth Enhancement Group. They help me do my job better. But I think so often as an industry, a tax person might look at your situation and say, what can we, re- what can be done to reduce your taxes this year? And at Wealth Enhancement Group, we ask the question, what can be done to reduce your taxes over your lifetime? And that might mean paying more tax this year than you would have to, a little bit more, to avoid paying a lot more five or ten years down the road so that the net net is actually lower. And to do that kind of forecasting and planning is something that most people typically can't do on their own. So um, how do we reduce your taxes over your lifetime to put more into your pocket, to have fun with, to save, to invest with, and so forth? The fourth thing, and we keep dancing around it, um, I'm finally there, that you can do with money is invest it. And we talk on this show a lot about how to invest, how to go about it, uh, how people that try to do it themselves, frankly, there's all kinds of studies and research. They don't do as well as people that get professional guidance and professional help. That's not me, my opinion. Look it up, Google it. There's a mountain of information out there. But one of the things, and again, I can do a whole show on investing, and in fact, we are going to do this show before the end of the year, so I'll be briefer now. But one of the key takeaways that people should know about investing is that our goal for you is not to get the highest return you can. I think a lot of people say, when I invest, I'm going to get the highest rate of return I can. (laughs) That's not our goal. Our goal, remember where we started, core values leading to your goals and objectives, what's important to you. Our goal in your investment portfolio is to give you the rate of return that you need to achieve that success and to get it with the least amount of risk possible. We're not trying to get the highest total return. We're trying to get the return that you need. So there's actually calculations that can be done to determine how much do you need at retirement to live the way you want and not run out of money, and then what rate of return do we need to get to that number. That's our goal when we give investment advice. And I know we're coming up, gosh, this is going fast. Mm -hmm. I got one more. The fifth thing you can do with money is give it away. You can give it away while you're alive to loved ones or to charities. 
But when you leave this world, presuming there's something left, and for most people there will be, how do you get it where you want it to go as efficiently and effectively, tax efficiently as possible? We call this estate or legacy planning. That's the fifth thing. You give your money away. And uh, I know we got to get ready for break here. We sure do. We are coming up on the bottom break here and reminding folks what you just heard about money is you can spend it, you can save it, you can pay taxes with it, you can invest it, or you can give it away. So on the other side here, when we get back from the break, we'll take your phone calls and your texts at 651-461-9226. And we have Diane on the phone, and she can join us on the other side. I, too, have questions about paying taxes and making sure you don't get in trouble. Perhaps you are in a tax bracket, and if you start cashing out things and then moving into retirement, you don't want to mess that up so that you get into a wrong tax bracket and end up having to pay a bunch of taxes. So we are moving. It's uh, We're going to take a break right now. And again, 651-461-9226 on, how, on your money. Welcome back. It is your money. And if you have a financial question for Bruce, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is one eight 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 six advice or you can email your question to your money at wealthenhancement.com or you can call or text our studio line right now six five one four six one nine two two six the founder of wealth enhancement group bruce helmer financial advisor is with you for the next little bit here to answer your questions and to take your text questions as well we'll start with a call uh, Diane is on the line. Diane, go go ahead with your question for Bruce. Oh, thank you. Well, first I want to say happy holidays, and I want to thank Bruce for all the help that he's given everyone throughout all these past years on CCO. Very much appreciated. But what I'm calling about is there's an advertisement that is on CCO where they really complain about the 409K program. They say that's the worst way to save money, and they don't tell you any other suggestions. Are they trying to sell a different product? Uh, I'm just wondering what your your ideas would be on this, Bruce. And, Bruce, I want to jump in and say that some text questions are asking the same question that Diane asked about what to believe and what not to believe. And I think it's important to address that, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Diane, thank you for listening. Thank you for calling, and thank you for your kind words. I really, really appreciate that. That makes me feel really good. And you also have a safe, happy holiday season and uh, enjoy time with your loved ones. So anytime you hear an ad or anything in the media, including this show, by the way, I'm not immune from this either, you have to ask yourself, what's the motivation? Are they trying to get me to buy something or are they trying to get me to do something that's good for them? Um, and, it, and if it's good for them, is it also good for me? Is it just good for them? And so you have to look at, at, the, at the resource. Now, our show, and I'm going to come back to Diane's question, uh, Susie, but our show I, to me is primarily – to educate and inform, and if it's not entertaining, nobody's going to listen to get informed. So we try to have it be entertaining and interesting and informative. 
But truth be told, and I've said this publicly and I'll say it again, yes, we hope we make a favorable impression and that some people might consider utilizing our services because they hear something on the show and they think maybe I should call these folks up. And we're very transparent about that. I, I honestly would tell you that's not the primary goal, but it's one of the goals. But if nobody ever called and nobody ever engaged us, I'd still love doing this show. <laughs> I would still love writing articles, giving speeches and so forth, because I really do want to try to help as many people achieve financial success as we can. That's so advertisements, wonderful. you know, I'm sorry? I said that's wonderful. Oh, thank that's you. what well, you want to do. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so advertisements, again, they're, what, regardless of what station you hear them on, they're not necessarily good. They're not necessarily bad or evil. But, yeah, they're probably trying to get you to take some action. They're probably trying to sell something. Now, the specific ad that you're talking about, Diane, I've heard that commercial also. And there's several things in the commercial that are just not factually accurate. So I think they say something to the effect that uh, in 2008, you lost half of your money or the next stock market correction is just around the corner. And can you afford to lose half of your money or something to that effect? Now, I will tell you that in 2008, yes, the market went down in October of 2007. The, the U.S. market, as measured on the Dow, I don't remember the S&P, but the Dow was trading at a little over 14000 in the fall of 2007. In the spring of 2009, it was down to 6500 and some change, and it was down 60%. But that doesn't mean that anyone lost money. You only lost money if you panicked and sold when the market was down. Well, guess what? The vast, vast, vast majority, in fact, maybe all of my clients, maybe 100%, did not do that. I talked them out of doing that. And where's the Dow today? The Dow today is over 35000 So if you stayed in the market and you rode that uh, retraction out, it didn't hurt you. So the main message of the advertisement simply is not true. You only lost money if you panicked and sold. So... That's not true. And I, and what, I know what the advertisement's about. It's actually about permanent life insurance, but they don't want to say that in the ad mm. because they know that's going to turn people off. Now, the reality is their concept, and I've seen it marketed several different ways, bank on yourself, and uh, they have a lot of different ways of describing it without saying life insurance. And it, just because it's life insurance, it's not bad. The idea has merit. The strategy has merit for some people. It's not for everyone, but for some people, it might be a good strategy. But it's disconcerting to me that they won't even say what it is. The ad is like a guessing game, and you got to call a number or, or, or go to a, a website to get your free copy of whatever, and then they'll tell you what it is. So. It's a way of advertising. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but I would say that the information within the advertisement itself is untrue or at least misleading because my clients did not lose money in 2008, and they seem to imply that everybody did or everybody will in the next market correction, and that's simply not true.
All right. Well, thank you for the call. We have another texter who says, I am going to take my first withdrawal from my IRA this month. How do I make sure and pay taxes so that I do not get a penalty? I am still working. Yeah, so um, if you're still working, you're probably having um, your taxes withheld from your paycheck. You're probably not paying quarterly estimates or anything like that. Um, The first thing you could do is actually have taxes just withheld from the IRA distribution. And I know you don't know exactly what the taxes will be, but you might want to make an estimate. You might want to say, well, I'm going to withhold the Twelve percent for federal, and you know another six percent for the state of Minnesota, and I'll have eighteen percent withheld. If you do that, even though you don't exactly hit the bullseye, you'll be close enough so there won't would not be any penalties. If you don't want to do that, because sometimes, and I said this too, if you have the taxes withheld right away, it's sort of like giving the government use of your money before you have to. You might want to actually wait and pay the taxes on that withdrawal when you file, Mm. unless it's a really, really large withdrawal, I don't think there's going to be any penalties because to get into a penalty situation, your income has to be dramatically different than it was the previous year. And it has to be foreseeable. Maybe you could not have foreseen this withdrawal IRA withdrawal that you're going to make. And so you couldn't have anticipated. But to make sure there's no trouble, you can just have the taxes withheld from the withdrawal. And I would say when we have people that are still working, taking an IRA withdrawal, the vast majority of the time, that's what we do. We just have the taxes withheld. So if they tell me they want $1,000, I will say, is that net after you pay the tax? Hmm. Or is that the gross knowing that you're going to pay taxes? So then if it's the net number, we figure out what the withdrawal has to be so that they still get their $1,000 net after they pay some estimated taxes. And, Bruce, is this for someone – here, have a drink while I ask you the follow-up. Um, is this for someone who's not yet 59 and a half? Do the same rules apply once you're 59 and a half? Well, if they're, if, if they're taking a withdrawal, they are probably um, over the age of 59 okay. and a half okay. because – if you're not 59 and a half yet, I would try to talk you out of taking I that know, withdrawal. I know, I know. Because there's a 10%, yeah, 10% penalty in addition to the taxes. So mm. uh, I guess I am assuming, and maybe I shouldn't have, but I'm no. assuming the texture is past the age of 59 and a half. Okay. We have a couple of question about, uh, questions about trusts. Um, I'll start with one. Good more. Uh, this person says, um, I just lost it. Da, da, da. They have a cabin, and the cabin is in a trust. And okay, my grandmother had her cabin in a trust, which my aunt was the trustee and my father co-trustee. My father died in 2016, and grandmother died. Um, and wanting to know, my sister and I are beneficiaries of that trust. My aunt wants to buy us out. It's a little complicated, but when you're messing with trusts, um, is it sort of inside baseball? I mean, you really probably have to sit down and talk to this person and say, 
you know, where are we with this and what can you do with trust? Yeah, How I much can, I, freedom? Yep. I can, I can address it in very broad terms. Sure. And first of all, um, and I, we talk on the show a lot and, and I poke fun at myself a little bit. Um, there are any number of people at Wealth Enhancement Group here that know more than I do about trust. We have attorneys on staff. And there's any number of people that know more than I do about taxes. Uh, we have a number of CPAs. But I know and with this question enough to be dangerous and at least to give a broad answer. So there's a lot of different types of trusts. And, and years and years and years ago, uh, one of my co-founding partners, Dave Hess, who was an attorney, I asked him about a trust. He said, Bruce, the word trust tells me nothing. Mm. The word that precedes trust tells me everything. What, what kind of a trust is it? And uh -oh. there can even be trusts called cabin trusts that oh. are exclusive to a cabin or a piece of property. And, and how are we going to treat this piece of property? And it's not dissimilar. I grew up in Olivia, Minnesota, farm country. You see the same thing a lot, Susie, with a family farm. Uh -huh. How do we disperse this asset? Uh -huh. uh, two of the boys are going to farm the land. Uh, two boys left to go to the big city, and, and and there's a fifth kid that has no interest. How do we treat the, 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 the kids that want to farm fairly? How do we not totally uh, leave nothing for the kids that aren't going to farm? Well, cabin is the same thing. Five kids, two of them are interested, use it now, and would like to buy it or own it or keep using it. Three of them have no interest. Or two of them have no interest. One of them is not sure. So it is complicated, but I would say uh, see your attorney that drafted the trust mm -hmm. and or go see a financial advisor, and you can work your way through it. But, it, but the key is communication, and everybody has to tell everybody else mm -hmm. what they really want. So often I think sometimes people don't want to offend their sibling or they don't want to, <laughs> I don't know, They or, or so don't. I just don't want to see a fight over things. No. It, it can be worked out, yeah. but it, it, it can get very complicated. This per, I, this is the question, and maybe this is a question for a financial advisor as well, but the person is wondering about is that the share of each share is $67,000, and is that taxable? And I, I don't know that either, and maybe you do or don't. Maybe that is a question for an attorney or um, your no, tax provider. That one I can kind of address so that, the, the question of taxation, um, yes, if there's gains, if you're selling the property and there's gains, you have to pay taxes on the gains. So the first thing you need to do is determine what's called the basis. And the basis is not just the price that was paid, but it would also include all the improvements over the years. If you kept track of all of that, that gets you to your basis or your cost. And then when you sell it, no matter who you sell it to or whether it's in a trust or owned individually, um, you are going to pay taxes on the gains. Mm -hmm. Now, that's different, Susie and listeners, um, from a primary residence. I still get questions to this day about somebody selling their house and they're worried about the taxes. You, if you're selling your residence and res to de define as residence, it's your legal address. It's where you're registered for voting and what your driver's license says and so forth. And you've lived there two of the previous five years in established residency. You can sell a property like that. And there aren't a married couple can have up to 500,000 of gains and there's no tax whatsoever. So oh. 
if I bought my house for three hundred thousand dollars and I sell it for eight hundred thousand, there's no taxes. Okay. Now, if they sell it for nine hundred thousand and they bought it for three, then there's taxes on the last one hundred thousand of gain at long-term capital gains rates. So residencies are different than second homes or vacation properties, which are really treated more as an investment than where you live, and there is going to be taxes on that. But I've also had people, clients, a lot of clients over the years, that will sell their primary residence and not have to pay any taxes, move up to the vacation home that they go, we're only going to in the summer, mm-hmm. live there for two years, and then they can actually sell that without paying any taxes. Wow, that's good. So the another person called in and asked me to ask you about the trust. She said she wants to give her daughter more money out of the trust than that was originally set up and wondered about the tax difference if you are bumping up the money. And can you? I'm. Some people have said that it's kind of hard to change things with trust, but go ahead if you know that one. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, well, no, not specifically. So again, I, um, you know, I would tell this person, uh, and, and I, and I'm loath to do this. I rarely do this. Call me on Monday morning. <laughs> but somebody, if they, if they want to, if they want to actually reach out to Wealth Enhancement Group, um, we can get the the specific situation in front of our tax team and yes. and or uh, a JD and give a, you know, a better answer. But again, for listeners from a global standpoint, trust can be difficult to change you know, once they're established. You can break the trust, but you have to have agreement from the participants. And again, what's gonna, what often happens, I'm a little leery, and I don't want to sound so negative, but I'm a little leery that there's going to be hard feelings here somewhere. And if I had a nickel for every time <sighs> families told me they would never fight over money, but then they did. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be a lot of nickel. So I'm just yeah. a little concerned here, um, and I don't know. I don't know enough specifics to advise. Yeah. And even if I did, I'm not sure I'm qualified to give the advice. That's a pretty technical thing, and you're going to want to talk to an attorney, and which I am not. Bruce, we have about four minutes left, and we have a phone call with Reed. We'll take the call, but just be mindful of our time there. Reed, you are on the air with Bruce Helmer. Yes, thanks for taking the call. Uh, With respect to required minimum distributions, you were just talking about the basis. So when you reach age 72 and you have to start taking the RMDs, can you take the basis first and thus delay paying taxes on the rest to a later year? All right, thanks for the call. Thanks, Reed. Thanks for listening, and thanks for the question. I give you an A for effort and creativity and and, uh, and and trying to be as tax efficient as you can, but unfortunately, that's a no-no. So oh. when we talk about basis and gains and taxes on the gains, we are specifically talking about uh, investments or property, things that are not in uh, tax-qualified accounts like traditional IRAs or traditional 401Ks. So if, if, if I buy a stock for you know, $10 a share, not in an IRA, and I sell it for $100 a share, I get to pay taxes on the $90 gain, not the entire $100, because the $10 that I used to buy the stock, I already paid taxes on, and even the IRS is not going to tax me 
twice on the same money. But in an IRA, there is no basis. It doesn't matter because the dollars went in pre-tax. I got a deduction for the contribution the year that I made the contribution. So in a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA where the contributions are all pre-tax dollars, and I'll come back a second because sometimes it's not, but most of the time, the vast majority of the time, those are all pre-tax dollars. So you didn't pay taxes on the contribution. Now it's sitting there with earnings being applied, gains getting bigger, and now you've not you've deferred or delayed those taxes, and you haven't paid taxes on any of it. So now when you take a withdrawal from penny number one, that's income, and it's going to be taxed at ordinary income tax rates unless your overall income is just so low that you don't uh, you have to pay any taxes yet. You're, you're not, uh, it's not mandated. So it's a great idea, but basis doesn't matter. We don't, there is no such thing as basis when it comes to traditional IRAs or 401ks. Now, on occasion, people can actually have after-tax dollars in those plans, and that can complicate things a little bit, um, and that would change my answer slightly. But that really doesn't happen too often. And now what people are doing, if they want to put after-tax money into a plan, rather than put it into a traditional plan, they're putting it into a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k where they can get tax-free withdrawals when they take it out. If they're not going to get a deduction up front anyway, why use the tax-deferred vehicle? So more and more we're seeing Roth 401ks. And to everybody out there, Susie, and I'm watching the clock, to everybody out there to know everybody should participate in your 401k to the extent that you at least get the matching contribution. Whether it should be traditional or Roth or a combination of both is going to vary in every situation. So see your tax advisor and or see a financial advisor. If you're not sure how much to put in traditional, how much to put in Roth, Get help. People can help you calculate the most efficient way to do that. But the main thing is to do something. Either one is better than not doing anything. Bruce, it was lovely to talk to you. You did a wonderful job this week without coughing too much. Yes, exactly. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Uh, uh, Texter writes in real quick, we should have a whole program on living trusts and credit shelter trusts. So perhaps that's an idea for an upcoming show. All right. Again, if you have a question. We're a lawyer. We will. Perfect. 1-888-6-ADVICE or yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com for questions.